Hey everybody, we have a great episode for you today. I gotta thank all of you guys. We had a great premiere for Psychonautics, a comics exploration of psychedelics at the Dances with Films Festival, and it was so cool being at the TCL Chinese Theater, one of the most famous movie theaters in the world, and, and seeing my documentary up on the enormous screen and uh and seeing such a great turnout and man there was there was listeners that flew there to check it out and and i know many of you helped spread the word and many of you are in like other countries and places and don't know any, anyone in la and people have written in showing support have have gone to the psychonautics.com website and and joined an email list to find out more about when it's being released in the future. And hopefully after this screening now, we'll maybe get a good distribution deal and it'll end up on a cool platform where everyone can enjoy it. I'll keep you guys filled in as I learn more. But I know I've just been plugging the hell out of this thing for uh, the last several episodes because that's just what needs to be done when you have things like this happen. And and uh, and so I, I appreciate you guys um, also hanging in there when I'm d- doing a long intro to plug my things. I, I know not everyone tunes into a, a podcast to hear the host plug a bunch of their own stuff. Uh, and I know some of you out there are, are just uh, huge fans that know all my stand-up and hear me on other podcasts and tune into every one of these episodes and are super fans and uh, are rooting for me and like hearing all the updates and everything else too. But then there's people at the other end of the spectrum that just stumbled upon the Here We Are podcast and don't aren't familiar with my stand-up and and heard about this in who knows what roundabout way and uh and maybe don't want their first impression to be a comic plugging their own stuff for five minutes or whatever it might be and so trying to find that balance is is always interesting um and and trying and sometimes i get self-conscious about about how how much I should be yapping on and on <laughs> as I'm doing right now in the in the beginning of these things, and so even even that even if you didn't get a get a chance to because uh, you don't know anyone in L.A. or whatever to to spread the word and help out for for the premiere, even just kind of um, <laughs> frankly being tolerant of of hearing me yak on and on excitedly about my my new project uh, is something that I am grateful for. So in any way that you supported this, even in just listening to this show, I'm just so grateful for anyone that uh, that even just checks out this podcast in any way, even if you're just stumbling across it for the first time. So, you know, I have a big thing like this happen. It was a, it was a, a great, fun, exciting night, and uh, I just... Have a absolute need to express my gratitude to you guys for all of your wonderful support. I'm also sticking around in LA for this Los Angeles Psychedelic Science Symposium, 
June 22nd and 23rd. I'm going to be moderating a panel, and uh, I think we're going to show a, a few minutes of um, of the uh, Psychonautics documentary as well. And uh, I have another um, psychedelic conference coming up in Pittsburgh in July. You can go to shanemoss.com. I'll be updating my schedule with more live shows that I've been booking and other things like that as well. So uh, so check that out. Um, but yeah, just thank you once again. Uh, you guys are, are uh, so wonderful. And and by the way, I don't, uh, not to brag, but this is just a testament of how much support that I get from you guys. I checked out this, this Dances with Films festival all week and, uh, and all the documentaries were kind of during the day and, you know, people are at work and everything else. So it was hard for anyone to get people out. I mean, I saw this this fantastic documentary called Father's Kingdom, uh, which everyone should check out. And there was like 10 people in the audience for this documentary that was just incredible and took years to make. And and I, I had such high production value. And it was, it was so fantastic. I've seen it getting some good reviews, fortunately. So some people are uh, getting their, their eyes on it. But but just getting people out uh, to the theater for this festival during the day and everything else was uh, was challenging for everybody. And the Psychonautics documentary, we we uh, filled out more seats than all of the other documentaries, the four other documentaries that I saw. I went to all of them and and even like did a little head count and everything. We we sold more than all of the other documentaries combined and then some. So that's huge. And uh, uh, I'm just, that's why I'm meandering now, because I was I was just really overwhelmed and just so grateful that I've been able to somehow position myself in this crazy world to get to uh, be an advocate for for science, for psychedelic research, and uh, and get to do it in a fun way through uh, through the comedy uh, skits, through the comedy jokes, the setups, and the punchlines. <laughs> I don't know why I'm getting a weird all of a sudden, but uh, that happens. Um, so, yeah, we had a fun after party afterwards. It was just a magical night. Maybe we'll get to do some more film festivals, too, now that this one was uh, so successful for us. And we're going to tweak some things in the film. Now, seeing it on the big screen, there was, like, little sound changes we're going to make here and there. Just changing little things, like how big the titles are on the screen when when we're uh, when we had some, like, Talking Heads interview things. And, and uh, uh, maybe adding a couple scenes we'll see if we end up getting a a little bit more of a budget from a distribution company or something we might reshoot it uh, a couple things add a little more we might add an update now that it's been a year since the filming of the documentary we we're kind of brainstorming that and just seeing how we can make it uh an even better film than than the fun documentary that it's already turned out to be uh there's a lot of psychedelic documentaries out there there's a lot of fantastic ones i recommend checking out as many as you can um but ours is uh ours is the funniest (laughs) we can we can say that 
so so it's cool to do something uh, a little unique in a in a topic and a genre that I care very much about. So, whew, that was so long. Um, <laughs> but that's how much all of this meant to me. So thank you guys. Enjoy today's episode. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I'm talking with marketing professor at the University of Minnesota, Joe Redden is joining me. Thank you, Joe. Thank you. Glad to be here. So when I asked you to tell me about what work you want to talk about, I was uh, ironically fascinated by your, your subject matter on boredom, which I, which I find to be a, a fascinating uh, topic, one that we haven't explored a lot on the show, although we've talked about like hedonic treadmills and that sort of thing uh, before. Um, so, so we're ready. Uh, but I, I've been, I've actually spent, um, spent the last several months reflecting on boredom and its influence on my life. I've been, uh, I hope I'm not too repetitive for listeners who already (laughs) know my backstory, but just, just so, so, you know, as we're framing this conversation, I always personalize things a little, a little bit to make it accessible for people, but I, I, uh, especially used to be like a huge adrenaline junkie and very rebellious. I was always in trouble as a kid and, and, uh, and that sort of thing. And, uh, and I had a, a nice, wholesome, like Midwestern upbringing. And I always, I couldn't stand how like normal it was and always wanted to escape. And I, I feel like I've been, been like, uh, living in fear of boredom my whole life and, and seeking out adventure and, and that sort of thing. I know that's not exactly, uh, the, the kind of, I've looked into some of your work, but boredom is, is something that I've been reflecting on quite a bit. Uh, and, and, um, and what, what it's meant to me and how it affects my life. And so I'm excited for this conversation today. So, uh, can you talk just a little bit about, uh, about what you do and, and how you got into it? Yeah. So, uh, I mean, if I had to define the key question I like to study, it's, you know, we know as humans, we experience something, we like it and we want to keep experiencing it over and over, but unfortunately it gets less and less enjoyable. A hedonic treadmill, which which you mentioned, uh, but what I really like to study is we, we know that exists. What's been studied less often is what are things we can do about it. Um, you know, one answer we can do is to say, well, just go get something different. But that's not really a great solution. I'd rather have my favorite thing still be my favorite and still enjoy it every time. Uh, and so I'm really more focused on uh, what can we do as consumers, and maybe what can marketers and policymakers and others do to help people to stay interested and to get more enjoyment out of the things they already have. Hmm. So, so what, what kind of, uh, what kind of research, uh, is, so what, what are sort of some of the foundations of some of this research? If you can walk us through sort of yeah. some of, some of the beginning of, uh, understanding, um, uh, when when people are sati- satiated by food or variety and that's if you could walk us through a little history of that research yeah i think it helps to think um through the process of, of what happens with a, a typical thing say it's some food we like for instance i like sushi a lot 
And so, you know, we start eating sushi and it becomes less enjoyable for a variety of, of reasons that we know. Uh, one reason can be what's called habituation. You can think of this as just kind of, uh, I'm no longer thinking about it. Or, um, actually, back, I got a better analogy. So, uh, when we think about how people get tired of things, uh, we do know a lot in that area from work and psychology. Uh, and I'll give you an example of um, what we know about that and, and uh, some of the different mechanisms that are proposed. So, imagine coming in from a really hot day outside and you start drinking a glass of lemonade. And the first sip tastes fantastic. It's refreshing. Oh, this is so good. But as you have more and more of the lemonade, probably giving you less and less enjoyment. A number of reasons why this happens. Uh, one is what's called adaptation. So you come in, you have that first taste of lemonade. We like sugar a lot. It tastes really sweet. That's rewarding. But what happens is our body adjusts and says, oh, this is the level of sugar coming in now. Uh, and it's called the adaptation level. And so we adjust kind of our senses to what we detect as now being sweet or not. And so after those first few drinks of lemonade, we now need a higher fix of sugar to really notice it and to have the effect. So in effect, everything in the world is less sweet now, not just the lemonade. So we have that's one thing, adaptation. Another story could be um, just a more physiological, a need one. The idea is that the body has set points. And so, for instance, we need different nutrients. We need uh, water. And so you might come in from that hot day and you're dehydrated. And your body is signaling to you, I need some replenishment, some water, some kind of beverage. So, of course, that lemonade hits the body. It's very rewarding because you're thirsty, maybe dehydrated. But as you start hitting that physiological need, well, now it's no longer as pressing. So the body doesn't need to reward as much. Uh, in fact, there's even a third story. This is one reason why we, I think that we see satiation just so rampant in every experience. Another story would be habituation. So what happens is you come in, you have that first drink of lemonade. It's your focus. It's great. All of your attention is on it. You're extracting kind of all the enjoyment you can imagine out of it. But maybe now you start noticing who's in the room, other things going on. And you still drink the lemonade, but you're not really paying attention to it. And I think we see this phenomenon all the time. It's kind of like, imagine a loud construction equipment outside your window. It's mm -hmm. really annoying at first. You get used to it. But then someone comes in the room and says, wow, that's really loud. And now you notice it again. And so I think all these things help combine uh, to just make it this chronic, ubiquitous phenomenon that uh, we get less and less enjoyment as we repeat it. So that, that area has been studied quite well. I mean, all those areas have a rich literature. What's much less studied is what kind of happens afterward. And so the normal story is, well, I had this lemonade. I enjoyed it at first. I now enjoy it less. But after time passes, maybe hours, days, weeks, you know, I like it again. Right? I bounce back. That's called spontaneous recovery. And that's what originally got me started on this topic was looking at this recovery. Uh, and in fact, it, it happened with sushi where uh, I can eat sushi pretty much every night for dinner. Like 24 hours is enough time where I'm recovered. That's I'm impressive. My wife, that's not the case. Uh, <laughs> right. She cannot do that. I can do that with steak. Yeah, well, she can do it with Chinese food. So it's, it, we, we definitely have some things that, that do that. And so I started wondering, well, what makes me different than my wife? Why is it we have the same food, yet 24 hours later, I'm ready to go again, and she's like, ugh, not more sushi. Right. So I started looking at the literature on it, and in fact, there's just very little that was done on it. Uh, it was pretty much just not studied. Uh, and you know, it could be a variety of reasons. One, it's really hard to study it because you need that time to pass. Um, but it just wasn't well studied. And that's where I've really found my niche is, is studying that. Um, and it's, you know, you're, you're always trying to find topics to study, uh, certainly when you're early in your career. And uh, for me, it was kind of like, well, maybe this is interesting. No one's really answered this question well. 
Uh, and it was a few days later, something happened that, that kind of sparked a light for me. I was watching, um, <clears throat> we were watching, a, I still remember, it was a French Open tennis match where Justine Innan and uh, Serena Williams had just finished playing. The match finishes, it was a great match, and uh, you know, I hear the announcer come on, and he says, up next is uh, the NBA playoffs, the Spurs versus the Rockets. And I remember saying out loud, oh, great, I didn't know the NBA was on today. My wife sitting next to me said at the same time, ugh, more sports. And I think to her, it really was like, this is all the same thing. Whereas to me, it was, how is this the same thing? Why would tennis have anything to do with my enjoyment uh, of basketball? And so that kind of led me down this path of, there must be something about people who are construing these things differently. They're thinking about them differently. Uh, and that's helping some people to satiate less and recover quicker. And, and they're just having a different experience. Well, I'm I'm excited on a personal level to explore this a bit more because I've found that my uh, what base level knowledge of of this area I do have has made me. Uh, I think I'm a cynical person anyway, but it, but it certainly made me a little more cynical. I'm wondering if sometimes it does the same for you, where now you know you hear the expression like. Well, if life gives you lemons, make lemonade. I, I tend to go like, well, yeah, then you'll just get sick of all this, <laughs> this lemonade. And I often, I often think about, uh, you know, when I think about making a new purchase or getting, you know, I, I want to get a drone to play around with or, or a new car or something like that. But then I also, think about the hedonic treadmill and, and I'm like, well, that's just one more thing that I'm going to take for granted in my life, yep. you know? And, and, and this is a slightly different point too. One, one of the things that I, that I thought was very interesting was how much this affects, uh, just the eating and the feeling full. I guess I, I mean, as you talk about it, it makes sense, but most people, you eat and you feel full and the idea is is that my stomach is now full of food and that is why I feel full. I found out uh, one time I, I had to be on uh, mood stabilizers for a little while that increased my appetite and all of a sudden I was eating three, four times the normal courses that I that I would normally in like eating them like ravenously uh, just because they altered whatever neural chemistry that increased my appetite so it was it was a uh, really eye-opening for me to be like oh no there's more there's more room in there <laughs> it's it's just there's other factors at play um and and so so yeah but if we can uh just explore a little bit of of when uh, uh maybe start with food in particular um what kind of factors are making people feel uh, feel full or when people are getting sick of food, what you can do to increase someone's appetite? Right. Yeah, I think, you know, think of satiation. You know, the example I gave earlier, there's a lot of mechanisms going on contributing to it. Related to that, there's a lot of things that kind of regulate when you want more or not. So take food. Certainly that's one where um, we have physiological needs that, that must be met. And so in some cases, when that's not met, we really want the food. That's the ravenous appetite. When it has been met, we, the body kind of turns off and says, hey, I don't need more of that. That's going to be very different than a drone. It's not like mm -hmm. we have a, a drone gene that you know, has to be satisfied or this, this need for that. And so you, you kind of think about all these things working in, in combination. I think the food's an interesting one where the lay belief is certainly, yeah, I feel full. That's why I'm satiated. And it can happen, right? If we go to an all-you-can-eat all buffet, 
sure enough, like you are physically full and your body doesn't want more. But in the world we live in, you know, it, it's it's rarely the case that that's our main uh, th- that this need for food. Uh, I can't think of like uh, think of animals, you know, or as well humans. Millions of years ago, we lived in a very scarce environment where generally the body did not want to turn off things. And if you get really hungry, it needed to say, go get rewards. That being said, you wouldn't want to eat all of one thing. Whereas a human, you need to go get variety. You need to go get, you can't just eat meat all the time. You can't just eat one plant. And so there was a strong need to have this satiation mechanism to help you get variety, to help you go to things. In our world today, that's just not as relevant. I mean, we can get all the variety we want in five seconds, walk in a grocery store and go down the protein bar aisle. I mean, it's insane. How much variety? So in a lot of ways, I think at one time, while physiological needs may have been a big regulator of how satiated we felt and, and driving that health, I think in today's world, that's just not as prevalent for us. I think today's world, what's more the issue is things like the habituation. I'm bored with this food. I just want something different. Mm-hmm. Or I've adapted to it. You know, I don't want anything sweet. You know, now I want something maybe sour or savory or whatnot. And so what I find in my research is that even though we think food behaves quite differently, because it has this physical aspect, this ingested aspect, we have this macronutrient uh, needs that, that we have to meet. In terms of satiation, for a lot of reasons, it actually doesn't behave that differently than your drone or than your favorite song or than a book or whatever it may be. Hmm. Um, we actually find a lot of what drives satiation in, in our experiences is just the perception of how much you've had. And so to the extent that you feel like I'm having this thing over and over, that's going to make you feel satiated. And that's going to have a big effect on how satiated you feel. So what are the kinds of tests that you're doing? So I'll give you one of the, the first one we did in this area. Um, it's kind of a funny one. We uh, originally thought of the idea as a student and went to my advisor and said, Hey, I have this idea about people recovering from satiation, um, that maybe we could remind them of all the other stuff they've had. And my advisor told me, uh, you don't want to run that. It'll be hard to run. It'll take a long time. Uh, probably won't show a big effect. So I kind of put it on the shelf for a little while. And then I was throwing back ideas back and forth with a colleague of mine, Jeff Gallick, that I do a lot of work with. So let's go try this out. So what we did as an experiment was the first try. So we wanted to make sure people were really satiated. So what we did, uh, we brought undergraduates in and we said, here's a list of you know the top songs on the pop charts right now. Tell us your favorite two songs. And what we did is created clips of those, just the chorus. So it's about 40 seconds on average. And we brought them in and uh, had them listen to their favorite song, I believe it was 20 times in a row. <laughs> and, and it is torture. Yeah. Uh, I, I still remember the song I listened to. And this is probably, you know, what, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, it was Big Girls Don't Cry by Fergie. Uh, it was that, <laughs> that burned in my memory. Um, but we wanted to make sure people were satiated. Because what we did is we had them come back two weeks later. Uh-huh. And we were going to have them hear that song again. <laughs> and uh, so we brought them back in. Uh, and of course, you know, when they listened to it the 20 times, they went from a favorite song of you know, 90 out of 100 to like 10 out of 100. Right. I mean, it was not liked. Two weeks later, we bring them back. And it's funny, we first announced to them, hey, we're doing another music study. And there's a collective groan of, oh, I mean, they knew. I remember that study. PTSD. Yeah. <laughs> but what's funny is, is they think that. But then when they got in, for half the people, we asked them, as kind of a control, uh, what other TV shows have you watched over the last two weeks? And they list some shows. Then they listened to their favorite song again that they had heard the first time, and they still hated it. So it seemed like two weeks was not enough to recover. There was this trauma uh, that <laughs> seemed to have affected them. 
Uh, and even some of the comments were things like, uh, I remember, well, some of them had some language I shouldn't really repeat, but one that was funny when it said, uh, thank you for ruining Kanye West for me forever. <laughs> then it's funny, but the other half, we did a very simple intervention. We just said, tell us all the music artists you've listened to in the last two weeks. Yeah. From radio, your CDs, your playlist, however you may have gotten them, just list them out for us. Then we had them now listen to that song again that they'd heard you know, 20 times two weeks ago that they think they can never like again. Uh, and now they listened to it and enjoyed it as much as they had originally. So it seemed like they were able to kind of bounce mm. back when they saw the bigger picture of, well, yeah, I heard that a lot, but it was two weeks ago. I've listened to all this other stuff in the meantime. Uh, and I think we show that effect. Uh, we called it variety amnesia. It's like you forget all the things you have. You focus too much on the one. And I think we show this all the time. You know, Imagine a friend came to you and said, hey, let's go to the same exact restaurant every Friday night. Sounds like, ooh, that sounds boring. That sounds satiating. But you're going to have like 20 other meals in between those two. Right. You may have something different at that restaurant every time. And so, you know, to me, that, that study really just showed how much of satiation we find is self-imposed. Hmm. And that if we can kind of just change our thinking to realize and appreciate in that example, the variety you really have, uh, it's actually quite a bit. But that we, we focus too much on just that one thing or, or that, you know, your drone, you may think, oh, I've just played with it so much. But think of the other things you've done. So, so you think the world might be ready for uh, Outcast's Hey Ya uh, again? Or, <laughs> I'm ready uh, for it. <laughs> yeah, you're ready. It's uh, one of the best. That, that's also that's also one of the best examples of uh, the most overplayed song in in history. About, but yeah, that's uh, that is. Uh, but even but, take that. You think overplayed, but think of what a drop in the bucket that is of all the songs you've heard since last right. time you heard it. I mean, it's it's nothing. And so if I can get you to think more that way, you won't be associated. Hmm. Hmm. And well, I'm trying to reflect on the music that I listen. I often get obsessed with some new band and then I create a Spotify playlist and then I usually start at the top. So I hear those top songs more often. And then after a while, I'll start changing the order around because I will get satiated. But then I, I do, now that I think about it, I will go back to putting like the the two or three of my favorite hits on the top and those are the ones that i want to hear first when i go back to that of montreal playlist or whatever it might be yeah i mean it's not going to save you from satiation entirely i mean if you find something new you really like you listen to it a lot it's going to wear out some i think where we we uh that over focus can get us is where you feel like i've burned out on it and i can't enjoy it again and I think that's where we missed the boat that, well, no, start listening to other things. It can stay in your regular rotation. Um, you know, certainly we can burn things out for a while. But, but I'm mm. of the view, too, of, and I haven't tested this yet. But this is a, a, you know, I try to get a lot of my ideas from my own personal reflection of my own behavior. I'm not convinced, too. Imagine I do this with, uh, like, I find a new restaurant maybe I like or a new food I like. And I tend to almost want to say, well, I don't want to eat it every day. It's almost too much. But I'm not sure I'm not shortchanging myself. You know, maybe once you find this favorite thing and start consuming it a, a decent amount, maybe the clock starts ticking on your satiation. And boredom is partially just how long have you known this thing? How mm -hmm. long have you thought about it? Maybe you're better off those first few periods of, you know, for the first week you found this band, listen to it as much as possible. Hmm. As long as it's still enjoyable, just keep burning through it. You hmm. can always go take a, you know, a break and get variety elsewhere. I, I'm not sure I don't restrain myself almost too much for some of those things I really love at first. What about something like uh, Wheel of Fortune? Because <laughs> I'm I'm thinking about you know Game of Thrones is coming out soon, and this is 
you know, very exciting for me at the, at the time or at, at this moment, I'm watching Westworld, you know, and I've been waiting so long and now I get one episode a week and it's so exciting. And, but then there's these shows that are on your Judge Judy or whatever it right. might be <laughs> that are on every single day. And it seems like there are a lot of people out there watching this same exact show every single Well, let's be clear. I think the, to me, your, your, Example, I think it's like my wife of sports. To you, it's the same exact show. I think the uh, people that love Judge Judy, that's not the same show. Yeah, it's a different, all it's a different case each no, day. Yeah. And I think you see it where, um, I mean, part of this starts to get to expertise as well, too, where, um, so I play tennis a lot. And so I find there that, I mean, every day I go hit, I notice something new or, or some new aspect of my shot or just some new appreciation for the, the mm-hmm. technique of hitting a tennis ball. But I think a novice, to them, it's, it's all kind of the same. And so I think part of it is um, learning to appreciate these differences. And, and for all you know, that may help to explain. You, you mentioned some of the shows like the binge watching. So I get the question, why do people binge watch? That seems like the worst answer for satiation, right? Why not spread it out? But as well, too, I find with, you know, if I watch episodes back to back, I'm more into the episode. I'm noticing more intricacies. I'm noticing more of the plot lines. I'm noticing more of these subtle differences. I'm not just watching this generic show in some abstract sense. I'm really there and, and in the details more. And I think that's where the real answer to t- to reducing satiation is, is noticing all these details as well, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I've done work there that, that that helps as well, too, of how do we construe. So very, very simple study. This is actually the very first study I did on the topic. Uh, it was based on my the insight about the sports. And, you know, to me, they're tennis and basketball. Why would one satiate the other? Whereas to my wife, it's, it's all the same. They keep score. There's a winner. It's a sports. <clears throat> so I had people come in and gave them um, five different flavors of jelly beans. And uh, for some people, just said, here's jelly bean. It, 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 sorry, in each of the five, I think they had like three pieces each. So 15 total, right? So for some people, I just said jelly bean. One, two, three, four, five. Just counted them off as they're eating them. The other group, I just put a very simple label and said cherry number one, orange number one, right? So obvious label, not really giving you any information you didn't have. But that very subtle manipulation did something important. What it did is it changed the experience from eating 15 jelly beans to, well, now I'm having cherry. Well, now I'm having orange. Mm. And it, it shapes it where you're subcategorizing the experience. And sure enough, we found when you do that, you'll keep enjoying it longer. Even though they're eating the same exact jelly beans, I'm giving you information you could easily have. I'm just pointing out to you, hey, these things are different. You should be, think about eating. You're not just eating a jelly bean now. You're eating a cherry jelly bean. Hmm. And now you're doing something different. Now you're eating orange jelly beans. So I just think that as long as we don't necessarily appreciate the richness of those experiences either. And I think that's one thing, like binge watching, expertise, those things help you do that. You're, you're really extracting more enjoyment uh, out of the stimuli that you have. And this might be why experiences uh, seem to have less of this uh, satiation than than uh, like material possession. I I get a drone. Well, maybe maybe a drone's not the best example <laughs> because flying a drone is a wonderful experience in and of itself. Uh, I get uh, a new a new uh, fancy tea kettle. Uh, and and I love my new tea thing. It it has a the pot automatically goes up and down with the correct time for steeping and and this thing's fantastic and I I use it every day for 2 weeks and then I just kind of uh forget about it. Whereas um say I go on uh a hike or, or rock uh, rock climbing or so, like you said tent tennis 
uh, as you were talking about that, I was thinking about my rock climbing experiences and bringing people to the gym and people being like, yeah, I, w- I went up and I came back down. So I, <laughs> I think I understand rock climbing. I'm like, no, you don't understand the way you have to like twist a, a, your, your hip for a certain hold and work on your shoulder mobility to reach this. And, and, uh, you know, it's a, it's a puzzle to me that I'm, I'm figuring out and understanding these no nuances and, and the feeling the effect of my grip strength and, and, uh, having to use my, uh, work on using like my pinky finger more on a certain hold and and uh and so there's i'm even though i'm going and doing the same activity again and again uh i'm noticing uh i'm noticing more details with within that activity uh are there is this i mean this is Everyone talks about mindfulness uh, these days. Mindfulness is all the rage. Or maybe I'm just so mindful that I've been really mindful and aware of all the mindfulness and awareness talk <laughs> that, that's been happening. Um, is, this, is this part of the uh, con- contributing factor of these positive well-being effects of, of, uh, of people just... Uh, I know you do some food research as well. Mindfulness eating is yeah. is all the rage these days. Uh, well, I think it's a well. So two answers. One, the the construct of mindfulness can include so many things that that it's kind of like squeezing Jello. I'm not sure you can really pin down and say for sure. Well, mindfulness affects satiation this way. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you that I think there's at least two views you could take on that. So uh, I mean, I actually took a mindfulness class. And one of the exercises they give you is to do a mindful eating. So eat a meal mindfully, really notice everything you're doing. And it was funny. Most people in the class came back and said, oh, I found I enjoyed the meal so much more. I found I actually enjoyed it less. And I think partially it's because where I was coming from to me, well, now you've got me to really pay attention to how I'm having the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. And so you could really imagine this going both ways. In some ways, I think mindfulness helps you if you're really noticing new things about it or new aspects. If mindfulness is instead getting you to notice I'm eating the same thing over and over and I'm having this a lot, more like a monitoring, quantity monitoring, then it's going to lead to less enjoyment, more satiation. So I think it's to say just mindful is, is too broad. It matters mindful to what, to what you're, you're paying attention to. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier experiences versus material goods. That's one thing I think that helps experiences often is they tend to be very rich. They're often with other people. They're often somewhat unique different each time and so i think it really facilitates that noticing the differences um but it, it's interesting i tell people um when they say oh well uh you know material goods you satiate a lot on those you don't really enjoy it anymore and part of that's because i think we tend to take things for granted and you want to do a simple test go home tonight turn off your hot water heater see how much you enjoy hot water the next day i'll bet you enjoy it a lot more than that rock climbing up one time yeah and we we, we have so many things we just take for granted Right now, and it, it's um, you see the same thing with um. I I was can I just this quick give an example because I just flew in from Jamaica today, and it's a lovely experience. I love being in new cultures, uh, and and um, you know, it was beautiful. Got to spend a bunch of time on the beach. Had a wonderful time, but. I had something come out of my mouth that I never <laughs> thought thought I would hear myself say, which was, boy, I could sure go for a Walmart <laughs> <laughs> right now. Because Jamaica, for you and the others that have, haven't been there, it's like 
you buy things like from a person's house like people have a little bar or a little shop or something like set out like where you, most people in the u.s would have a mailbox <laughs> the jamaicans have like a little shop like oh i need a lighter i'll go to the lighter, <laughs> to, guy. <laughs> to the lighter guy i need sunscreen i'll go to that guy and uh and and it really uh and and i'm the type of person that's like screw walmart and they're bad for small business people and this and that and all of a sudden i found myself <laughs> having a uh a real appreciation place, yeah. <laughs> for for the the convenience that we have in america yeah and i think that's again that's one i mean you start thinking about to the extent satiation is this construct we self-impose it i think that is another way we can help fight it is we tend to take for granted these things instead of remembering well let's imagine something that's not as good mm-hmm. or another experiment you know i, I find this wow well, you know as, as tv quality improves we have our hd tv and every now and then a show will come on that's not hd because right, it's an older one mm-hmm. uh and for me it actually i think helps me appreciate my hd now like oh that's what it used to look like uh, and so I think every now and then it can actually be a good thing to, to throw in an experience that isn't as good. Hmm. Um, well, hopefully, hopefully my low budget documentary that's coming out will, <laughs> will, will remind me. I now enjoy everything how, else more. How, how good the, the, uh, $30 million movie is. Um, what about, I, I feel like, uh, some listeners are, uh, and I guess I'm I'm curious as well. Some listeners might might be like, "Okay, well being, schmell being. If you're talking about food, I wanna I wanna lose weight. How do I uh, uh, give me a practical, a very practical application of how this is a, gonna affect me when I step on the scale? What what can I do to eat? In my case, I'd actually like to put on weight. I'd like to eat." more food so so maybe you could give two different uh mcdonald's variations uh, <laughs> now yeah i think you know so interesting we did do a study on um so there's a lot of work on self-control which was obviously pivotal to a lot of people trying to lose weight and most of the work on that topic has been this idea that well i really want the chocolate cake and some people are able to have enough willpower to say no and so they can meet their dieting goals and other people are just kind of weak they can't they can't bat a thousand, right? They might say no sometimes, but every now and then they eat the bad food. But you know, I had kind of a different take when I first saw Lewis work. I said, well, what about maybe it's not that they have better willpower. Maybe some people just satiate faster. I get a little bit of cake and that's good enough for me. I've got my sweet fix and now it's, it's easy for me to say no to the other things. So we explored this. And so we looked at uh, particular people that naturally have these trait levels of higher or lower self-control in general. And what we found is when they deal with food, they, they actually do something quite particular. It's very different. And it depends on the type of food. So what happens, people with high trait self-control, uh, as measured, what they tend to do is when they see a healthy food, like when we gave them carrots, it's almost like they turn off their monitoring system. They say, well, carrots, those are good foods. Don't need to watch myself here. Just start eating them. And um, they keep enjoying it longer and they'll eat more of the healthy food. In contrast, when they see an unhealthy food, so for instance, we gave them candy bars, what people with high trait self-control seem to naturally do is to say, this is a bad food. They, they recognize it's a bad food and they watch themselves more. They say, how much is am I having? They're really monitoring their quantity. And what I found in a lot of my work is that it's that monitoring of quantity will lead to more satiation. And, and 
It's just that, that feeling that you're having something more. And so it can either come from me tricking you by giving you some cue to make you feel like you've had more, or it can even just be I'm paying more attention to, wow, I'm having, you know, another piece of chocolate, another piece of chocolate, another piece of chocolate. And those high trait self-control people, when they're eating that chocolate, they're monitoring themselves more, the quantity they're having, they enjoy it less than they satiate faster, and they end up eating less. And so we, we did another study in that area to say, well, is there something we can do to help the low self-control people kind of be like the high self-control? And so what we did is we gave everybody in one of the studies a uh, baseball pitch counter. So they you know, keep track of how many pitches a pitcher's thrown so they don't damage their arm. And so we told them, hey, as you eat, uh, every time you swallow, just click it. Count how many times you swallow. And what's interesting, when we gave that, that instruction to people with high trait self-control, it had no effect. It's almost like they're already kind of doing that when they want to anyway. So you've just created an extra task for them. I, I'm like, I, like, I guess I just have no idea what it's like to be a high self-control person. <laughs> I'm like, wow. What's this control thing you That's mentioned? what high self-control people are doing in their asses. They're counting. That's amazing. And, That's, and, and sure, that, we found the low self-control and we told them to huh. count. Now they started to look like the high self-control. Right. When huh. it was the unhealthy food, they seemed to realize more, I should be watching myself here. Um, and it's actually a very adaptive behavior, if you think, right? If it's broccoli, yeah. all you can eat, turn it off, eat all you can. Yeah. If this is something bad for me, that's when you need to really use your your monitoring and say, hey, I should watch myself here. Hmm. And so the, the counting it, uh, and we've done that in a number of different studies where just anything that can help you really track your quantity. And that's where I think the mindlessness comes in. If you're eating mindlessly in front of the TV, just stuffing one piece after another, not paying any attention to how much you're having. That's a recipe for overeating hmm. and no satiation or very little. Contrast that with you're eating where you're really just focused on the food. You're really noticing how much you're having. It could even be through apps like uh, MyFitnessPal, things like that. Things that are helping draw attention to how much quantity you're having. And it needs to not just be in total also in the moment. You're really noticing I'm having another piece. I'm having another piece. I'm having another piece. Hmm. That's going to help you to satiate more. And then, then I think the self-control puzzle becomes easier. I mean, I'm assuming you have great self-control when it comes to eating broccoli, but donuts, not so easy. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's clear there's this, hmm. you know, desire piece of the equation too, that I think we, we often maybe shortchange. And so for some people, they are facing a harder self-control battle. I'm, uh, I'm only really bad with candy. I like candy a lot. And as you're talking, I'm remembering that there's Mentos in my back. I was just thinking of like, donuts. Donuts like is mine. I'm slowly going for the Mentos <laughs> right now. Um, I, well, I would be a, a, an interesting case study, I think, because I and my girlfriend's sort of the same way. I don't know if it's like, I don't know what it is exactly, but, but we both have like pretty poor, we, we view eating food as like, uh, like a burden, like a responsibility. And not that, not that we both both don't like going out to like a fancy restaurant or something like that, and and having a having a nice meal. But but we we get full very very fast, and sometimes we just neither of us are terribly hungry, but we know we just have to eat. Uh, and I'm I as because often I find myself like um so if I'm doing CrossFit or working out or whatever, I'm trying to like put on some muscle. Yeah. I'm like forcing power bars and like whatever I can down my throat to like eat as much as like trying to finish that plate. And I still have a hard time. And as, as you're talking, I'm like, well, maybe it's because I'm like 
thinking about it as like I'm punishing myself, like I'm forcing it, yeah, you know, like using willpower to like eat more, and that's making me feel satiated. Yeah, and I mean, faster. certainly there are differences among individuals. Right. Some people are going to be wired differently. But yeah, I think to, to the extent of where this is a real problem is in the military, mm. where you certainly they're under a stress load, they've got schedules that are packed, and getting them to get enough calories uh, can be quite a challenge. Uh, and so certainly some things that help with that are the more you can get people to mindlessly eat. <laughs> I guess eat in front of the TV and I say not to do that. Yeah. For those people that, or another thing that can be quite effective is serving sizes. If you put a larger serving out there, you're going to eat more. Right. You may not finish it all, but you'll eat more if you put bigger servings there. Hmm. Um, that's one. And so, I mean, some of these, these, these tricks, there's a lot of work by, uh, so Brian Weinsink has done a lot of work with the, with food and, and some of these like little cues and how you can create environments in your home that can, you know, discourage eating is what he's usually focused on, but you could certainly just flip the script mm-hmm. and say, well, the things he says not to do, go do those. Right, right. Uh, it's certainly going to help. You know, leave candy scattered all across your countertop. <laughs> <You'll> <laughs> yeah, eat more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw, I saw a thing about, um, what is it? Having the different colored M&Ms was, it, so I, I guess the M&Ms all, they taste the same and, and the different color is cosmetic, but, uh, which I still think is a lie and the red ones are the best. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but having a single color of M&Ms compared to, I guess, it, well, it's different than the jelly bean thing that you mentioned. It, it, very different. And, uh, well. and I've done some of the M&Ms, the effect, uh, it's, it's kind of, uh, off and on, whether mm. different colored m is really good to eat more. If you have different flavored things, that's going to generally, certainly variety would help too. I'm, I'm, I'm a sucker. I've mentioned this so many times now <laughs> uh, on the podcast, but I'm, I'm a sucker for if it says new on the label <laughs> or if it, like I never want like the original Skittles or whatever, cause I, I'll have them once in a while. But if there's the, like the new tropical or the sour or whatever it might be, I'm, I'm always a sucker for that sort of thing. What about, um, uh, I think something that a, a lot of people struggle with these days, uh, especially with Amazon and everything else. But what about compulsive buying, compulsive yeah. spending is, is there, you, you have any any yeah. tools, any of this research like that to, can be applied? Think to of some... two things with Amazon. I mean, certainly the more you have one click and you just say ship it prime and you don't think about it, you're not going to be monitoring budget. It's not going to feel like you're spending as much. You're not going to satiate on spending if you want to think of it that way. So certainly I think that's part of the reason they're doing those things, right? They want it to be mindless. Mm-hmm. Uh, to buy it, I think the other thing too is that, I mean, if you're trying to limit food, it'd be the same kind of idea that the more you can create a cost for yourself, so my own household now, we're experimenting with, um, so we had Prime for, I don't know how long. We don't have Prime right now. And the whole idea is that- it And you're, it and you're still buy. alive and surviving? <laughs> it's, a, it's amazing. <laughs> so right now, it's like neck and afraid. Now I'm making it, but I've already lost 10 pounds and my PSR has dropped. But no, it's, it, it makes it too easy to buy. We just yeah. buy junk we don't really need. Right. And so now instead, it's like, well, I got to think about it a little bit. Hmm. And so certainly, yeah, the more you can add, you know, those, those transaction costs- Hmm. Uh, we'll see how it goes. My, my kids don't like the experiment too much. But <laughs> it's, it, it's just too easy. It makes yeah. it too easy. Huh. Hmm. Um, what about, um, is there, uh, do you have any applications for any of this work in the workplace? I, I, I mean, I think this is a pretty common human experience. I just got back from this, uh, this retreat in Jamaica. I was telling you, but a lot of people, a lot of people there were, um, 
like pretty much everyone there was kind of looking for something you know it's a psilocybin retreat and it's meant to be it's not just like a fun party it's meant to be like kind of a therapeutic and a lot of people there were in their kind of job transition right uh like wondering what to do next sort of thing and kind of looking for answers and this is i think getting to be uh more more and more common people are changing jobs a lot quicker these days and i know in my in my uh when i had real jobs um which has been a very long time but i would often you know get get a new job and it's you know there's unlimited income potential and the sky's a li- the limit at this new factory job or whatever maybe you'll be a supervisor and a superintendent one day and you'll learn these new skills and and you you, you learn how to make this widget or drive a forklift or whatever and and it's it's almost kind of fun at first figuring right. out how to new, do this new job and then you kind of gain mastery over it and and uh, maybe there's a sense of accomplishment for a while, and then for for some people this gets really boring and and monotonous. Uh, is there anything? I know I have uh, I have a lot of listeners that are able to listen to podcasts at their job because they're loading a truck or something like that right now, or or, or driving, and and their their job's a little monotonous, so they listen to podcasts and that sort of thing to kind of break that up. Is there? Are there any of these tools that you've studied that can be applied to to that area of life? Yeah, I think uh, I remember one example of uh, take earlier I mentioned the jelly beans being subcategorized. So I think an example of that I remember I heard an NPR story where I don't even remember the content of the story. I just remember an example of someone who worked in a potato chip factory, and they were inspecting, looking at different chips, and they said they kind of made it you know a little game of some sense of like, well, I look to see do the potato chips look like anything, mm-hmm. and so I guess this person's like prize possession was an Elvis potato chip. And so it's, I mean, there, I think there's things you can notice. There's, there's details there. If it's driving a truck, maybe it's, you know, let's see who can guess better uh, what time exactly we get there or right. how many red cars we see. I mean, you can start, I mean, you don't want to get too many distractions <laughs> right, clearly, right. but I think, you know, there's, if we think about the world around us and there's so many stimuli we can have that we can actually look and, and find things. And, and uh, we just, this innate tendency is just to ignore all that. And uh, I mean, I, I see it all the time with, Drives me crazy where my, my kids will say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. And, and when I give talks in Islam, I show a picture of their room, the different ones. And there's just a ridiculous number of games, puzzles, books. And there's so many things you could do. You're saying, oh, there's nothing to do. This job's all the same. It's the same every day. So one thing I think is to, to notice some of the nuances. The other thing I would suggest is, and we have some work suggesting too, that um, what people tend to do is, is, again, they tend to kind of bucket their things too much to say, well, I'm just driving or I'm just loading. And they don't always kind of appreciate the variety of the things they have uh, and, and the things they do. And so maybe I'm working a lot. I'll give you an example. Let's say I'm working a lot. And then maybe we, we go out with uh, for lunch with some people from work. Maybe I work a little more. Maybe there's some presentation now and some new thing at the company or whatever. And I think too often when we have these breaks, like, like lunch or, or other breaks, uh, we don't see the bigger picture. So instead of seeing it as, oh, I, I drove some, I had a, a lunch, I unloaded some things, I had a presentation of this thing. We don't see all that. Instead, we just see I had work. And the breaks almost get no credit. It's almost like we just forget those. Those are those are off. Instead of saying, you know, well, I had some variety. I had some different things there. I just need to see that bigger picture of what all did I have across the whole day. It's like the more you can put yourself in that mindset and just appreciate those different things you've had, or different, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a salesperson saying, oh, I've done sales calls all day. 
Most I think of, well, no, you probably did some other things too. You, you visited other people. You may have stopped and had coffee. You may have, you know, checked some emails, whatever it may be. I think the more we can just start to appreciate that there is this variety of stuff we have. Yeah, in my in my career, sometimes I I go on autopilot with my stand up because I have other uh, things that I'm working on, other projects during the day, so I'm not writing new material for stand up, and I'm just getting up and performing the jokes that I know work, and and uh, that's always when uh, when it becomes more of a chore and less of a enjoyable. You right, know, I'm, right. I'm having to kind of fake it a little more up there, uh, and then I I often find if I just have one new joke or one new phrasing even of an old joke, one like a 30 second minute long thing. It makes the whole experience on stage be more exciting for me because say I have this new joke that I know is going to go in the middle while I'm on stage delivering all of this old tried and true material where it's it, like, like once in a while I'll see someone, uh, you know, comedy is very subjective. Once in a while I'll see someone like bored in the audience. And I'm just like, I'm always like, this is just, you only have to be here for like 45 minutes. Like, <laughs> if you think you're bored by my material, <laughs> I've heard like, the punchline a hundred times. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but during those moments when I'm on autopilot for, getting through this story, getting through the, these bits that get the laughs and pay the bills. Uh, I'm often thinking like, okay, now remember that phrasing when we get to this section of this new piece. And then after I get to the new piece afterwards, I'm oh, how did that go? How can I, how can I change it next time? I'm, I'm usually thinking of other things, not what's actually coming right. out of my mouth. And that, that makes it a little more uh, interesting and exciting for us. So I think there's two key things there, right? I mean, one is your, you're introducing some novelty on your own. So I think in our own lives, we can try something different, put a little different spin on it. But as well, what's interesting there is, is imagine your work. You know, try a different way of doing something. You know, experimentation. Maybe it works better. Like in some ways, not only might you help with the boredom aspect, but you may also become more productive or more effective. Um, and so that, you know, I'd say another one too is try to find little ways to introduce variety, make something new, make something novel, something different. Um, sometimes we may just mentally construe it as different or actually introduce. I mean, it's better if I can actually put real variety that is different. That's even easier to construe it. As different. Um, all right. Well, let me know if this is too personal. You don't want to touch this one. We can edit this out, uh, whatever. But what about uh, what about just in our in our relationships? <laughs> I mean, uh, family life. Uh, I mean, uh, I'll use this example, so so I'm not gonna get you a trouble. I actually made a joke that did get me in trouble one time. A quote related to this. Really? It was talking to a journalist was asking about some work we'd done, and and I said, well, you know, it's kind of like you know, you know, I see my wife all the time, but you know, I might get tired of her. But if I think of all the other girls I've seen throughout the day, like there's all of them my workplace and other ones, and so you know, I don't know if it was the the best example, but I mean, she got. She knew obviously the work I did, so she got the logic of it. But it's true. I mean, even when we do some of our um, stimuli we have done, I mean, usually it's more scenario based, but looked at personal relationships, people you hang out with. Same kind of effects we find. If you just think, I only hang out with this person. But if I said, if I remind you, think of all the other people you've, you've spent time with yeah. in the last 24, 48 hours. It's going to help you feel less satiated. Yeah, I, I mean, I think most people in there. Not uh, just imagining the things in my scenario. So <laughs> yeah. be careful how much actual variety you introduce versus <laughs> right, imagine. Sure. Uh, I mean, everyone has uh, had, uh, you, you know, you have the, the the years when you had the roommate situation or whatever. You know, I remember um, 
fresh out of high school and being excited for my new place and moving in with my best friend and the whole, I mean, wouldn't this be great? What could be better than living with your best friend <laughs> day in and day out? And then you, you pick up on, uh, every little thing that drives them crazy once in a while. But I, I, I guess if you're, you're aware of this, you can, uh, focus your attention on, on, uh, things that you appreciate about, Say coworkers or or uh, family members that you have to deal with uh, more often, or even like you know. Again, I think you can. It's a lot of how you construe things. So I'll give you an example of a study we did that you could imagine using a similar type of thinking with with a mate or someone. And that is, uh, so we thought what should happen is if it is about just how much you feel like you should be satiated. Well, if I make you feel like it's been a long time since you had something, you should want it more. And if I feel like it's been a short time, you should say, "Ooh, I'm tired of it. I just had that." Right. So to test this idea, we, we had people going in a Panera restaurant. And on the way in, we had a really simple survey, you know, age, gender. We didn't really care about that stuff. It's just a cover story. We had one question that says, how long has it been since you last ate? <clears throat> it was a little sliding scale they could move. It was a little physical scale. And it was either like, you know, I just ate until uh, I believe one of the scales was, I don't remember the exact, the, the exact numbers we ended up using. I think it was one hour ago. So they could, if, if I ate, you know, a few hours ago, I'd say, oh, it was a long time ago I ate. Or it was, I just ate. And the end of the scale was 24 hours ago. So some people got the scale that's kind of the short compressed scale. Other people got the long scale. So in, in effect, what we're doing is making some people feel like you just ate or other people. It's been a while since you ate. Then they went in and uh, got whatever they would get. And we told them when you come back out, uh, if you give us your receipt, we'll give you an extra dollar payment. So we got the receipts then of what they ate. And sure enough, we found something consistent with what we predict, that those people we made feel like you just ate. Because right? it was on a scale where we had to slide the slider a lot, uh, that they bought less food uh, at the Panera. And so you can think with, with even people you spend time with, you know, it all matters kind of the time frame you're thinking of. You know, if you had, uh, you know, relations, let's say with with a significant other two days ago, was well, that a long or little time? Well, it matters what the scale I'm using. Right. <laughs> if I'm thinking of people that are a year, that's pretty recently. If I'm thinking, wow, somebody has it every day, well, then, wow, it's been forever. So, so I think, you know, a lot of these things, it's, it's who we compare ourselves to makes a big difference. Uh, yeah. If we're comparing ourselves to someone who has something a lot, spends a lot of time, we're going to feel less satiated. Hmm. Yeah. So uh, when, <laughs> when afterwards, I, uh, I, I have my girlfriend uh, track uh, track how many minutes it was. I give her the 10 minute scale rather than, yeah. uh, rather than the hour long scale and she'll, <laughs> she'll have appreciated. Wow. You were really far out. <laughs> um, so as, as we start, uh, wrapping up, uh, two things I have, I have my guests, uh, name a nonprofit, uh, each week. Um, and then, uh, the other thing I'm, I'm curious and, and you're free to, if you had anything else you wanted to add to put a little nice little bow on uh your research or whatever you're you're welcome to anything that we didn't cover but uh also just curious about kind of moving forward anything that that you are excited to research yourself or where you would like to see some of this research go um in in the future yeah so uh in terms of charity you know one that national one i like is uh junior achievement that done stuff with it's you know again just trying to encourage people to start thinking about you know what kind of careers might they want what's out there what's possible uh, and as well, people who have ideas for, for things they want to do um, to help foster them their entrepreneurial efforts. And, you know, I've been part of it. I've gone into schools, helped with it. So you can see that definitely there's 
there's we forget sometimes there's pockets out there they just don't even know what different jobs are offered to them or, or what may be possible so that's certainly one that uh, that's fantastic. Uh, I'm for. Uh, as well, a local one I'll mention that it, it, uh, I think a lot of cities have these. Uh, we have one here in St. Paul that, you know, as I mentioned, I'm a big tennis fan. Uh, it's the uh, St. Paul Urban Tennis. Where again, it's trying to encourage people to say, get out there, try this sport. You may like it and getting broad exposure rather than being just a few people that are you know, wealthy playing in the country club. Can we get broader access? So I think any of these athletics that can just get kids out there moving, active, burning energy, you know, we know the health benefits. So it's clear. Yeah. And so there's all kinds of local different pick the sport you like. There's there's going to be something local that probably promotes that um, for that. In, in terms of research and where I'd like to see uh, go, something I'm starting to play with myself is um, if you look at a lot of uh, certainly marketing research, a lot of psychology research, a lot of satiation research, uh, we tend to do experiments where we randomly put people in, say, two groups and we see what worked, what didn't. Right. We tend to kind of ignore the individual differences a lot. Uh, and we know with this satiation, there's wild differences. We've mentioned a lot ourselves, right? Um, you know, for you, it's candy. For me, it's donuts. You know, we have some areas we seem like we can just eat forever and other ones where you know, you're tired of it right after. And so I think there's a, a lot to be understood of just what's making these people different. Why are they different? Like what's going on there? And I think the, the self-control study was just a drop in that bucket. One example. But I think, you know, we, we focused a lot on just kind of the, the general behavior, the average person. But, you know, I think you start getting into these individuals and then maybe we find there's just very customized interventions that work really well with certain people. Uh, and we tend to kind of ignore that piece. So who knows? Maybe it'll be fruitful. Maybe it won't. We'll see. But I think that's a direction that, that at least uh, is worth exploring. Well, that's wonderful. Well, thank you, Joe, for joining sure. me. Thank you this for having me. great. And thank you, listeners, for being such wonderful, curious people. We'll talk with you next week. Next week on the Here We Are podcast, we're going to be talking to the Toro Company, David M. Lilly Chair in the Carlson School of Management at the University of Minnesota. Teresa Glom joins me today talking a lot about the psychology of organizational principles and um, kind of how to increase productivity and, uh, and increase more uh, job satisfaction and that sort of thing. Really terrific episode, something that is, uh, like many of the um, podcasts and topics that we try to get into on the Here We Are podcast, this is something that I think is applicable to venture to say 80 to 90% of, of people out there. You guys have jobs. <laughs> you work in organizations. You got to... Uh, figure out ways to stay motivated and and get along with co-workers and all that other great stuff and so that's what we're talking about next week so enjoy that again go to shanemoss.com to find out more about where i'll be next and check out patreon.com slash shanemoss is a fantastic way to support the here we are podcast and to get a little extra content from me, some behind the scenes and all that sort of thing. So thank you guys very much. And those of you that listen all the way to the end, you are my favorite. Outro music this week by Spirit of the Bear. I say these things over again. Starts to feel inadequate. 
The needle spins the circles back It cuts the food, but I'm okay with that I let the time wander by The waiting room inside my mind Run my mouth faster. Run my mouth. 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 Run my m